1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low-intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com/slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
2: Welcome to the roto Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Uh, I'm Jake Litarski, joined today as always by John Litterine. You can catch John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can catch me on Twitter at Roto-Jake. Today we're going to make our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 245. Three title fights headlining the card, of course, with the main event being Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington for the welterweight championship. John? it's been a while we've uh, it's been a while for us and it's been a while for the ufc it returned last week at ufc washington dc we got a buzzer beating knockout uh with uh, of course alistair Overim winning that whole fight that fight even made scott van pelt's bad beats here so that was a fun card uh
1: anything else stand out on that one from you oh uh, you know i i really think that was probably the main thing the main event um and obviously alistair Overim actually looked pretty good or you know, relative to some of his other recent performances. Uh he looked pretty strong for most of the fight, uh gassed out a little bit at the end, but he looked like, you know, certainly well on his way to winning a decision. Um and I think the other thing uh is just uh you know the Ben Rothwell Stephen Struve fight where Rothwell clocks Drew with a couple really, really vicious low blows. Accidental, but you know, you're responsible. And then how um you know it kind of made a big deal out of it that referee dan Mergliata, you know essentially you know when struve was taking his time uh, said you know it was you know late in the second round and mm-hmm. you know struve was winning clearly so Mergliata basically said to him you know it's up to you you can do whatever you want but you're winning the fight so so how, um, does, how does dan know that that he's winning the fight I mean, I, I think he just, you know, was just going by, I mean, if you watch the fight, you could tell he was definitely getting the better of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, that's on struve. The only thing I will say, which you never see is the first time he got hit, uh, he took the full five minutes Mm -hmm. and the second time he took probably I don't know four and a half minutes he took almost the whole, full time again mm-hmm. and you rarely 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 see a guy take the full five minutes I mean if a guy's taking the full five minutes he's usually not continuing mm-hmm. um or or it's later in the round Street. he's gassed
2: like I can yeah. see that from like a Maurice Green or a Greg Hardy or some of those or even a Derek Lewis if it were to happen in the third round like especially if you're losing you know catch your breath and then get ready for one last flurry I could see that Struve you know doesn't quite fit into that bill in my in my Opinion, but I don't know. He's been on the brink of retiring for what seems like forever now, so who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you know the the way it happened, and obviously, you know, Struve's is not going to be happy that he lost. But you know, it's one of those things where you know Rothwell winning like that, you know, doesn't really you know do anything. Not that a win over Struve means anything anyway, but just how it ended, you know, it didn't raise Rothwell's stock at all. It's just weird. You know, it's something you know you see once in a while, but you know, I can't remember seeing. You know you'll see a guy take a couple of blows like that but you know i can't remember seeing a referee you know essentially you know give that kind of information but look you know the guys in there know. you know for the most part you know even if they don't want to admit it they know what's going on they know who's winning usually
2: yeah usually for sure and then uh i guess in other news this week we've got connor and cowboy for january uh 18th we got uh bones jones and dominic reyes in houston in february they're kind of waiting on connor so uh ufc starting off hot
1: to the 2020 schedule yeah, they are. That's good. You know, I, I had, you know, the, uh, the shevchenko Caitlin Chikagan fight doesn't, you know, really do a lot for me. But, you know, the Jones-Reyes fight is good. And, you know, the conor Cerrone fight is going to be good. I hope, you know, I'm a little worried that if Conor wins, they're going to run back Khabib and Conor, which I have really have no desire to see again. But, okay. you know, who knows? Everything with Conor's up in the air. These plans change all the time
2: yeah for sure i mean we got a we started a, a dynasty auction You're trying something new not really much out there for season long mma so we're going to try something and uh, we ended up with bones and we ended up with cowboys so plenty uh, plenty of action to get going with early in the week again uh, i'll post the results when that auction's all finished up there's a it's a slow auction so we got a couple bids out there but we're basically down to the baseball equivalent of dollar day so i'll post those results on my twitter when we're finished up at roto jake and uh very excited to try this format out here Uh, but let's get into it john we got three title fights to discuss this is uh this is an exceptional card you know you go from a november card at madison square garden you got the bmf belt but no real actual title fights this one's got three and it's uh it's an excellent excellent card uh and we might as well just take it from the top i mean kamaru usman the champion taking on colby covington uh most of you if you don't know who colby covington is By now, then you haven't followed any MMA in the last year because he's certainly going to let you know about it. But Usman enters as the favorite. He's 8,900 on DraftKings compared to 7,300 for Covington. Um, Usman minus 175, come back on Covington, plus 155. The odds to finish in this five-round fight are, oddly enough, plus 190 here so i know colby covington's done his job as the heel lately um he's been he you know he likes to rile people up you know with all his maga stuff and all his outside the cage whatnot do we as mma analysts and everybody else fans analysts across the board uh anyone involved in mma do we need to prepare for a world in which colby covington will be the
1: welterweight champion I, it's possible, you know, It it certainly wouldn't shock me. Um, you know, the first thing when I saw this, when the DraftKings salaries came out, I was really, really shocked at the difference between the two. Um, I ended up picking Usman to win, but it's one of those fights where I just went back and forth, you know, a bunch of times, you know, regarding who I, who I was going to take. Um, it's, you know, essentially, pretty close to a pick for me. I mean, and if you want to say, okay, you know, look at what Usman did, you know, to Tyron Woodley and, you know, he's the guy entering as the champion. Okay. So, you know, he's should probably be favored, but you know, a $1,600 gap in salary to me, is just, it's really baffling. And, um, it's not very often you get a fighter of Covington's ability. at 7,300. So even if you think Usman's going to win, um, there's no doubt. I, I am a hundred percent convinced that Covington is definitely the better draft Kings play. Now. Um, the one thing that worries me about Covington is, um, we all know he lives and dies with his wrestling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he averages 5.6 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is, you know, insane. Um, kamar Usman's takedown defense in his UFC here is a hundred percent. He's never been taken down now. Colby is not a great striker. You know, if he's forced part of that is because he just spends so much time in top position, controlling his opponents. He, you know, he rare, if he had it his way, he'd do the Habib thing where he just, Oh yeah. You know, take you and, he do, and he yet. does, and he does, you know, he does to some extent, you know, he's really good at it. But if he's forced to stand and trade for any significant amount of time, that favors Usman in a major, major way. Um, Uh, Covington certainly has great cardio. No doubt about that. The guy can keep the same pace, you know, but so does Usman. Usman's uh, cardio has not been a problem at all. Um, You know, the reason I ended up picking Usman was twofold. The first one was what I just mentioned. I'm just a little worried about what's going to happen to Covington if those takedowns aren't landing. Now, he's tough as hell in the sense that he's proven time and time again he can take a punch he's been clocked a few times on the feet and you know pretty much just walked right through them he's never really had an issue the interesting thing for me is the Robbie lawler fight in the last one now of course like you're
2: saying I never really thought of Covington as much of a striker but I think you wrote it in your preview John that he attempted some ridiculous like more than 500 strikes and he was credited in that fight with the career best 179 significant strikes but to kind of illustrate that for you even after that fight it, his career rate is still only 3.9 significant strikes landed per minute. So landing 179 significant strikes. In one fight is something way out of the ordinary For him and I don't necessarily know if that means He's suddenly turned the corner and is a, is Going to be a crazy dangerous person on his Feet uh, but you never know I mean He's he's 31 years old he trains at American top team uh, he could have very well Have been making uh, big strides In his striking game over these last couple of years Or it could be a situation where he's Like okay he's fighting Robbie Lawler who's kind Of at the tail end of his career he can probably Get away with trying to put on a fan friendly Fight and in- increase his chances At the title shot and the big pu- and the big payday so there's a couple uh a couple sides of that coin but do, i mean do you think he's is that enough to show you that he's improved that much <laughs> i so mean I- I can-
1: I think there's like truth, you know, I think both of those things are true, you know, he does train an American top team every day, so you know, his, he's certainly going to improve in the areas where he's not as strong, but, you know, the guy's been, you know, wrestling his whole life, you know, he could train his striking every day, you know, from now until the end of his career, and it's never going to be anywhere near the level of his grappling, and I mean, you know, the numbers bear that out, not only you mentioned the significant strikes landed per minute, but Colby Covington's striking accuracy is thirty 37%, Usman, by comparison, is 54%. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you're talking, you know, what's your 17% gap, you know, when that's a pretty significant number. Um, And I really just had, you know, what Covington, what uh, Usman, excuse me, did to Tyron Woodley was just one of the craziest things I've ever seen. You know, I picked Usman in that fight. But, you know, I don't think anybody saw him doing that in such a dominant fashion. Mm-hmm. It w- I mean, he blew the doors off Woodley. That wasn't even, I mean, you, you know, want to say Woodley had a, you know, was an off night? Fine, whatever. You know, that an off night doesn't make up for the gap between the two that night. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, this is close. You know, uh, you're never going to tell me that. I think Usman at 8,900 is overpriced. I think Covington at 7,300 is way underpriced. And I definitely think Covington's the better DraftKings play. If you're the type to make multiple lineups, which we always talk about and we always ad- advocate, you know, it's not very often you're going to see a fighter with Covington's ability at $7,300. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, that's a tough thing. Like when, for me, when it came down to picking this one, it's like, okay, if they fight 10 times, I think Usman wins six of them yeah like something like that, that it's that close to me and so so like you said at the beginning i mean i made my first DraftKings lineup i do i do a season long um it's called Ironman. man it's uh head up and we do a every you know, everyone enters a single entry one lineup for the card and it's like kind of a cumulative based on top 20 finishes so i always jump in and that's the first lineup i build every single week And I was like, man, the the salaries and odds when they came out, you know, later on in the show, we tend to do odds value like the salaries for the most part coincide with the odds value with with the odds quite a bit except in this case where i think covington's he's getting a little bit more money after him and that's uh that's tightening up a little bit i think there's at least one sports book out there where you could get covington at uh where they've got him at like plus 130 right now so i mean that's a that's a pretty narrow that that's excellent odds value basically for somebody at 7300 so um that's one thing. The other idea with this fight is uh like stacking it. You know, 25 minutes, you've got two guys who average roughly uh four significant strikes landed per minute. Um Usman 3.96 takedowns per 15 minutes. Covington's way up there at 5.69. I don't think they're going to be it's a tough thing because they're so used to volume wrestling, but it's not like either of them are going to take each other down easily. It'll be like 3 to 2 when it's all said and done because you're really going to have to work for it. So I I guess what I'm asking is is a stack in play, at least in maybe, maybe say cash games, your 50 50s or your double ups. So you get the favorite, but you also get um, you also get a seventy three hundred dollar fighter who could just as easily win.
1: I don't know. I'm not crazy about it. Actually, I think stacking the next fight we're going to talk about is a better idea than this one. The issue with that, the stack here for me is if Covington doesn't land takedowns, he, I think he's going to have like a really hard time jittering offense. And I don't want to call him a one dimensional fighter because he's not, but there's, you know, I, I think we both agree if he's not consistently at the very, very least making Usman work to defend the takedowns, you know, I, you know, he's going to have a hard time winning. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's more, I just think Usman is a little bit more well-rounded and you have to keep in mind, Covington's not Covington's not one dimensional, and his game of you know just constant takedowns and pressure and whatever is probably enough to beat any other 170 pounder on the roster. You know, that's the crazy thing. It just probably might not be enough to beat Usman. You know, when you're talking about, you know, the best of the best of the best, that gap is non-existent. And, you know, that little, you know, that little gap between the two, you know, could just be enough to swing the fight in one guy's favor
2: yeah exactly and, and i mean usman definitely no slouch in the striking department either he's going to come in with a four inch reach advantage if you look up like a like a sure Dog page or whatever it says association hard knocks 365 um that's that's henry hoofs gym in fort lauderdale i looked that up before the show so i mean definitely he's got just as good of a camp behind him and uh i mean usman's kind of been a decision machine um you know dating back to 2015 he's got Eight decisions and one knockout win over Sergio Morais, so I don't necessarily see either of these guys getting knocked out unless, unless suddenly the Covington striking strides are absolutely for real and he catches them. Um, but I mean, the odds to finish on this are plus one ninety for a reason. So it's a grinding uh, five minutes and you know maybe you don't necessarily need maybe the other side of the opposite of a stack here would be a fade you know maybe you don't necessarily if you don't want to use Covington you might not need a piece of this fight if they're not getting takedowns and it'll depend on the official scoring a little bit you know it's a little objective on what's considered significant if Covington tries to throw a lot of volume what is he actually going to connect on so this is a really tough one um from a DFS angle I mean from a real life fight fan angle I can't wait it's an amazing stylistic matchup uh and and it's something that is 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 perfect relevant for the uh for the headliner of a pay-per-view with three title fights but i don't know when it's all said and done i'm, I'm gonna pick usman i think he deserves he deserves it he's a little more physically physically opposing, like you said he's more well-rounded uh arguably um i'm gonna pick usman but like i said at the beginning and i'm gonna keep saying it like uh everyone's got to get ready for a uh ufc landscape where colby covington is champion because that's it's very
1: possible in shock being the least
2: all right, so we got a lot of title fights to go through, so uh, let's let's move on for this one. Um co main event, another fantastic fight. Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky. Holloway the champion, the favorite, hasn't lost his uh, fight at featherweight, like basically since we started started covering the sport. Uh he's eighty seven hundred on DraftKings, Volkanovsky seventy five hundred. Uh the odds on this one look pretty similar. They haven't quite been moving as much as the main event here, but minus one seventy for Holloway. Plus 150 for Volkanovsky. The odds to finish on this are uh, plus 165, which uh, is probably just a testament to the durability of both of these fighters here. You alluded to. Uh a possible stack in the early going but i guess uh let's take a step back and 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 talk about how that we're going to get there and how you see this
1: fight playing out well i, I think you can get there with this easier than the previous site because i think you know i think we, this is certainly set up to be more of a kickboxing match than the previous site um this should be a stand-up fight and you know i'm really interested to see this one this is another one Um, I went back and forth on and, you know, quite honestly, it's another one where I think, you know, the salaries are, you know, a little wide. Um, I really think Volkanovsky, you know, and it, look, it's hard to go against Holloway. He's won 14 fights in a row at featherweight. Um, He lost his last fight to Dustin Poirier in April. Uh, They fought for the interim UFC lightweight title. Um, It was just a fight where Max had a lot of difficulty with, just the size and physicality of Poirier. Um, he was just too big and he was just too strong. And, you know, it showed. And um, he's facing a guy in Volkanovski who fights simil- in a similar manner. He's just not as big of a guy. You know, he just doesn't have, you know, the the upper body strength and you know the physique but um i'm gonna take volkanovsky here in an upset and i know this is it sounds lousy you know this it really it's just nothing more than a gut feel but i really think volkanovsky has the power to give holly trouble now um you know the, the the thing in max's favor obviously is his output you know he throws a lot lands a lot um 6. and the other thing
2: is he has significant strikes landed per minute yeah, in the crew that's that's ridiculous volume i mean that's like prime joanac type volume but i mean you, you can't even say that because Holloway's is in a class of his own here
1: it is. But, you know, Volkanovsky himself is at 6.11, which is also exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not Holloway, but, you know, it's probably the top 5%. You know, it's an exceptional yeah, number. Like
2: standard deviations above yeah, the
1: you rest know, of the. Holloway's defense is 63%. Volkanovsky's defense is 62%. You know, so that's almost equal. The big difference two big differences. One, striking accuracy. Holloway is at 45%. Which, when you think about it, if Holloway is landing 6.7 stri- significant strikes a minute and landing at a 45% clip, that means he's throwing what north of 14 strikes a minute, something like that, 14 and a half. Yep, which got is 25 minutes for this too. Yeah, insane. And then Volkanovski, on the other hand. 59% striking accuracy. So Volkanovski lands nearly as much, lands in a much better clip. Now, granted Volkanovski has never faced anyone of Cal- uh, Holloway's caliber before. And, you know, as you know, my man, Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, But, you know, it's it's an excellent fight. Max certainly has the size, you know, in his favor. Holloway's 5'11", as we all know, one of the biggest uh, featherweights on the roster. Volkanovski is only 5'6", but Volkanovski has a two inch edge in reach. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, Holly is one of those guys, you know, kind of a little bit of the featherweight version of John Jones stand back. Use your long frame, throw a bunch of kicks, try and beat up your opponent on the outside. Volkanovsky not as tall, but he does have a reach edge. So again, this is another one for me, essentially a pick them. Um Holloway certainly deserves the benefit of the doubt as far as being the favorite, you know, Since he last lost, some of the guys he's beaten, Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira, Jeremy Stevens, Ricardo Lamas, Anthony Pettis, Jose Aldo twice, Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar. I mean, it's the best of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. He's legitimately turned into one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world um, in any division. He's an excellent fighter. um, But as we know, everybody in this sport loses eventually. And um, I really just, I like Volkanovski's power. I like Volkanovski's ability to put together combinations. The question for me with Volkanovski is, is he going to be able to match Max's output in cardio? Because Holloway is legendary for fighting the fifth round just like he fights the first round
2: yeah exactly so a couple things uh that that i've noted kind of while you were going through that uh one you know i'll I'll go off the cardio um volkanovsky's never been past the third round in the ufc and he's been fighting there since uh 2016 i mean he hasn't lost a fight since 2013 so uh, that's crazy but um so he went to the fourth round in a december 4th 2015 fight um the other thing with volkanovsky for me is i you know i really tried to talk myself into this and i know and i know it's kind of a a little bit of a cop-out because there's three title fights and i bet you and if i had to guess just the number without picking the names i'd be guessing one title fight or one belt changes hands if i had to pick the number if it's one two or three belts changing hands i think the best number if you find a money line somewhere it's going to be one belt changing hands that being said i'm still picking usman and i'm still picking holloway because for me this fight has an eerily similar feeling uh to the ortega fight the betting odds were kind of close ortega came in really really hot granted got a couple uh a couple uh, where he kind of snatched victory from the jaws of defeat there and then Holloway just just pounded him on the feet for five rounds and I think you can expect a little bit better of a striking performance uh, from Volkanovsky in this one I mean the numbers say for themselves Volkanovsky does have a little bit of a takedown kind of wild card too that he can implement in the game but Holloway's sitting there with an 84 percent takedown defense and no one's ever really been able to figure out that piece of the puzzle right there Um, the physical measurements you brought up were also very interesting you know Holloway's got that five-inch Advantage, so you think he could just stay on the outside and pepper him, or, or it's the height advantage. I'm sorry for Holloway, but it's Volkanovsky with the reach advantage, so you could make a case there. I could definitely see it, but I still got to pick Holloway. Um, it, it for me, it's like it's that same kind of feeling as going into the Ortega fight where it was close and people were thinking, Well, he could lose, this could be it. And then when, it, when it's all said and done, the better fighter wins. And my other reason behind Holloway is just, I mean. Outside of the Jose Aldo fight uh, that for Volkkannovsky, i mean and aldo's definitely not what he once was we can agree on that and then chad mendez before that kind of a past his prime post suspension chad chad mendez uh there there just aren't a ton of names on this volkanovsky resume that uh are even in the same class as um as holloway and you know you can make the argument with aldo but again he's someone that holloway smashed twice so i'm not quite sure the caliber of competition is there for volkanovsky he's only 31 i think we'll see him back in a title fight uh, before not too long, but I don't think that he gets it done on Saturday night though. Though it's very, very close.
1: Yeah. It's certainly a step up in competition with Volkanovski. Um, the only difference I would say between the Ortega fight is you're right. As far as both guys coming in hot, it's just Ortega's tough to rely on because so much of his, well, virtually all of his offense comes to be a submission and it's, it's really hard to predict a submission. You know, you got to get a guy down or whatever. Usually, you know, you got to get in the right position to clamp on, you know, whatever the choke is or whatever. Um, it's much easier to just clock a guy with, you know, one right hand, you know, to end the show. But look, it's definitely a step up in competition for Volkanovsky. Holloway certainly deserves the benefit of the doubt, you know, for all his wins and the streak he's on a featherweight again another excellent fight you know these two first two fights here for me mm-hmm. you know you want to talk about both guys fight 10 times you know maybe 60 40 for one guy you know i really don't see much of a difference either way but in both of them
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean if, if you buy two three cards a year you know we have no incentive from the ufc to say this but if you're buying two three cards a year this is definitely one that you want to buy your yes a hundred percent You're going to see some high caliber mma on this fight here so yeah we'll uh we'll disagree on this one but i'll give you the benefit of the doubt here because uh, you know it could happen i will acknowledge that and uh just to kind of bring it full circle you said earlier that a stack in this one's more likely than uh, than the first one just because of the high striking volume because i could kind of see that too
1: yeah I, i definitely think this is more of a better stack option simply because it just sets up you know as more of a kickboxing match than the first one you know i expect uh, you know, I think we both expect Colby Covington to go for takedown after takedown, and you know we say this all the time. They might not land, but. Even if, you know, numbers one, two and three don't land, if you're a wrestler and that's what, you know, that's the strength of your game. Even if you don't land takedowns one, two and three, mm-hmm. you got to keep firing takedowns four five and six, you know, nothing else. It keeps your opponent off balance. You know, it limits his attempts. It, you know, it might not help against Usman, but you know, in general, it, you know, it hopefully it tires him out and you know, that's your game. You know, you got to stick with it. And you know, this certainly sets up, this is between two guys, Holloway and Volkanovsky who are obviously great all-around mixed martial art, especially max but both make their living on the feet they are strikers first and foremost
2: yeah no doubt you definitely sold me john because i think i think you're right that first fight we're gonna or that main event fight we're gonna see a lot more clinch work and uh when there's clinch work it's generally not great for fantasy scoring even if it's five rounds this this co-main event this featherweight title it's going to be a lot more standing and trading uh, i believe unless volkanovsky thinks he can mix the takedown in which would be interesting to see i mean few have been able to actually get to holloway like that so I guess if yeah if you're gonna stack for a cash game i'd agree with you john uh do it with the co-main event here but we got one more title fight to talk about here um this one i think we can both agree probably at least on paper isn't quite as tight as these first two amanda Nunes, jermaine durandamy uh we all know about nunez the the champ champ still reigning champ champ i think she's gonna go back to featherweight after this one and try to get a defense in there so she can keep uh defending the belt there uh kind of durandamy coming into this fight had that big kind of semi-controversial knockout over aspen lad but uh, A statement like that uh, will definitely get you this opportunity. Nunez is 9,200 on DraftKings. She's the highest priced um, outside of Jan on the uh, pay-per-view. Um and then one of the highest priced on the whole card. Uh, whereas Durandomy 7,000, even one of the lower prices that you'll see Nunes 280 favorite come back on Durandami is plus 240 and the odds to finish on this one. Uh, it's, it's kind of rare. You know, you, you don't often see the ladies fight is the one with the, with the favorable odds to finish, but not minus two ninety. So uh, basically Vegas think Newt, thinks Nunes is going to get it done and she's going to get it done via stoppage. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, this is a rematch. These two women fought back in 2013. Um, Nunes won that fight in knockout, uh, in the first round, just under four minutes in, um, you know, that, that's essentially irrelevant, you know, it was so long and you're going on, you know, six plus years ago. I don't think that first matchup has anything, you know, will have any bearing on this one. Um, the real issue here is, you know, Jermaine Durand to me, as we all know, is a pure striker um brings very, very little else to the table. Um former kickboxer, 46 and zero professional kickboxing record. Um and if you're trying to beat Amanda Nunez, uh, the last thing I think you want to be is a pure striker. Um and despite Durand Duran's striking background she only has four career knockouts in twelve fights. She's won nine fights, four have come via knockout, five have come via decision.
2: So you know, throw 20, 30 in there from kickboxing, probably. Yeah, I don't have the exact record. But
1: I, yeah, I think she well, actually was 36, four, 46 and zero with thirty knockouts in kickboxing. Yeah, not not uh, too shabby. <laughs> no, but she's but you know that Aspen Lad fight is and I thought that was a good stoppage. I had no problem with that fight. Yeah, um,
2: good stoppage. She, I think Vlad was a she was a little messed up from the weight cut and that. Maybe made that yeah, a,
1: little, th- I had a no, little. I had no problem with that. Yeah. But I mean, I, this is an easy pick. And the whole entire thing is straightforward Nunez's greatest advantage over anybody in the company is her power. I mean, look what she just did to Chris Cyborg. It was, you know, she blessed, you know, Cyborg didn't have a chance in that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. She was too aggressive. She pushed Cyborg into Bellator, basically. Yeah she, yeah, she did. She didn't, you know, and she just, yeah, I know, Cyborg didn't focus on defense or whatever and didn't respect Nunez's power. Okay, that's probably true. But you know the power it takes to, you know, to finish Cyborg off like that? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to beat Nunez... You know, Durandamy not going to you know, bring this fight to the mat or anything. I definitely think she's giving up a pure strength advantage. Nunez is certainly one of the strongest women on the roster. So if this fight co- turns into, a, you know, the clinch, you're up against the cage or whatever. That's certainly in Nunez's favor. And I really don't see Durandami scoring a knockout. So that means if you think this fight's going to go Durandamy's way, she's going to have to outpoint Nunez for 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would certainly bet against that all day long. And if nothing else, even if, say, you know, hypothetically, whatever, say Nunes is is behind, she has the one punch or one flurry power to turn a fight at any instant. So, you know, you're kind of hedging your bets. Even if it doesn't go, you know, the way you think it's going to go originally, she has the ability to turn it at any point. So, you know, we'll see. But this is, I know they don't have a lot of options as far as really, in any of the women's divisions, and this is becoming an ongoing issue. There just aren't a lot of legitimate challenges for any of the titles. You know, this fight doesn't really do a ton for me, but look, you know, we've talked about many, many times when If the UFC has two title fights on the card, you know, they punt the rest of the card. This has three title fights and this is the third one. So, you know what? And the fights we're going to talk about in a minute. The next two on the main card of the pay-per-view are also pretty good. So, you know, you can't get too upset about it. I don't think it's a great matchup. I don't think there's any value in Durant to me at 7,000. It's not like. You know an exceptional fight that i'm Overly looking forward to it is what it is But look it's the third title fight on the card You know and that you know if you're going that way it's Fine if it was the headliner Of a pay-per-view i think we'd both be a little You know a little more Harsh about it Mm
2: -hmm. yeah so this Is a this is an interesting one so we're both going to Pick uh we're both going to pick nunez Uh, I think the answer is pretty clear there you you know I can't sum it up in anything better than uh, than what you just did there so we're going Nunes but uh, so let's just say hypothetically whether it's this contest or another one so DraftKings is running a $200,000 special one of their bigger GPPs of the year first place is 50,000 the entry on that is 2450 say your money bags uh, uh, some other site contributors might do this probably not me but the max entry on that looks like 150 let's just say you're gonna you're gonna enter 100 lineups in this one to make a $2,500 investment out of 100 lineups what type of exposure to Nunez are you looking at I mean um we both feel pretty safe about her she's not even the most expensive fighter on the card I think she gets a finish within two rounds within three rounds I'd say I feel I feel pretty good about that so pretty good bet for 80 90 DraftKings points um did you have a rough number out of 100 lineups what type of exposure you'd be looking at
1: I mean, we, you know, we always advocate mixing, I don't know, 60, 65.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's fair. somewhere around there. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I definitely wasn't re- quite ready to go as high as 80. If, if that stresses the confidence, because th- that is a lot of stock in one. Yeah. Player. I mean, she, she only, it's, it's, not, it's not, it's not because I'm only sixty percent confident. It's because, you know, I'm going to mix in Peter Young and some of these and, uh, you know, a couple other guys across the board and, you know, you, you start to limit yourself when you're taking two, three, 9,000 plus fighters, and then you're taking on a lot of risk with the rest of your lineup. So yeah something like that seems to work out fine for me. Um, all right. So Nunez, uh, I think we're both in this by a landslide. I would be willing to wager that she'll be a unanimous selection might be the only unanimous selection when staff picks get posted on the website yeah. on Thursday. I, yeah.
1: I was just say, well, you know, when you're talking about, you know, using someone like that, you know, it's really just essentially protecting yourself probably more from injury than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, she could be, you know, blowing the doors off to random me and, could take you know a wrong turn and her knee could pop you know it could you know there's a billion things you know we see all the time so it's really more protecting yourself against that than anything else
2: yeah and just to compare so like the odds to finish on nunez i'm gonna see if these change since i wrote this down nope she's at 290 um the biggest most expensive fighter we'll talk about him in a little bit is peter yan the odds to finish on that are minus 155 and then the other big favorite on the card is matt brown over ben saunders and the odds to finish on that one are minus 420 i'm not I'm not, get, I'm not getting involved in that <laughs> yeah we'll have to we'll have to touch on that later that's a very interesting one um but so, so technically Matt Brown, yeah, that's a lot to put on Matt Brown, so if you throw that one out, then uh the Nunez is technically the the best chance of finish. And in terms of dollar value there. So I think we, we we beat that one pretty well, John Uh, you know, I think there's no secret how we feel about that one Um, we talked a lot about jose aldo in the uh, in the last couple fights because he's someone that both volkanovsky and uh, and max holloway have Fought and defeated recently. Well, most recently for volkanovsky He's coming back to the cage in a very interesting move. John he's going down to bantamweight and uh he's taking on a real tough matchup a, a former uh title contender uh was the interim champ at one point i, I can't remember in any in any case marlon Morice nine thousand dollars on DraftKings. aldo 7200 uh vegas pegs this one actually more money's gone to Morice uh since i originally posted these right now morais is sitting at anywhere between a minus 200 to minus 225 odds with a comeback on aldo being you know again you shop around books just like you shop anywhere else The back on aldo being plus 170 plus 185 odds to finish on this one i was a little bit surprised are minus 155 now the big big storyline heading into this fight i mean we all know aldo's a hall of famer one of the greatest to ever do it was thinking about maybe retiring then signed a big extension but the real big variable is he's moving down a weight class he's going from uh, featherweight to bantamweight at 135 and uh i don't know if you've seen any of the pictures of training but he looks pretty wiped in those pictures i mean he he's skinny he's not he doesn't look like quite the same jose aldo and when you're at these smaller weight classes to begin with you know take doing that extra 10 pounds on your cut seems like a little bit tough now it's not a title fight so he'll get 136 uh which i I would say does matter in this situation him going to 135 for a title would just amaze me but in any case uh with the weight cutting aside um i guess what well i guess what's your thought on the move for him and uh will it help him here
1: i'm not crazy about the move actually you know it's it's pretty weird it's you know, Aldo just turned 33 years old in September. So, he, you know, he's mm-hmm. been around, you know, a really long time. He has more than 30 pro fights. Um, I really don't know why this is the time to make the move. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I was going to mention it, too. You know, the, you know we've seen I've seen some pictures, too. And I'm pretty I'm interested in how ha- I'm not picking him anyway. I'm picking Marais, mm-hmm. but I'm really interested in seeing how Aldo looks on the scale. Yeah, um, that will be definitely worth tuning into. On yeah, there are there are. That there are some rumors that his weight cut is not going particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, obviously it's what it was today. We're talking Wednesday. So, you know, he's got three, couple days, you know, so, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to make weight or anything, but, um, I'm worried about, I'm a little worried about what he's going to look like. And, um, as I said, our, my preview article, if you're moving to a new weight class, especially, and if you're moving down to Bantam weight, Marlon Marais is not the guy you want to see waiting for you. Mm-hmm. um, he was, he never won a championship in the UFC. He did fight Henry Cejudo for the vacant UFC bantamweight championship, um, in June and was knocked out in the third round. But, um, Bryce is legitimate. He's a legitimate, exceptional all around mixed martial artist. He's a good wrestler. He has power. Um, you know, he's good submissions, you know, 10 career wins via knockout six via submission. He's physical. He's really, really good. Um, and, You know, I think it's worth mentioning that Marais also fought, spent a you know decent chunk of his career at featherweight, 2007 to 2011. So, you know, he spent four years up there. But I I just I think it's really hard at this point in Aldo's career to trust him against high level competition. You know, you mentioned earlier this was a guy who essentially had you know like one and a half feet out the door. Certainly looks like he was going to retire. You know, and and instead, not only did he not retire. You know, he signed an extension with the UFC. I think he signed like a six-fight extension or something. Yeah, one of those. And that doesn't
2: always mean, I mean, Connor signed an eight-fight extension. Are we going to see him fight eight times? No, but...
1: But it's, it's just strange that, you know, a guy would go from, you know, being unsure if he wants to, you know, continue his career to... Just like that, you know. Oh, all right. I'll take a six side extension. I think it's at the point where whether he's moving down to bantamweight, whether he would have been staying at featherweight, I just think it's really hard at this point to pick Aldo against any high level competition. And now, look, he's certainly not washed up. You know, he's had some good performances lately. You know, he's been up and down. Certainly not the guy who was the king of the featherweight division forever. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking Aldo against the guy who is you know the top of the division you know Morais might not be the champion but you know he's certainly in the top 2 or 3 you know if you're putting Jose Aldo at featherweight still and you know you're talking Holloway or Volkanovski you know I just don't think there's any way at that point yeah. you know you can pick Aldo yeah. whether it's How many fights he's had, you know, whether he's getting older, whether it's the weight cut, you know, there are a million different things. That's definitely what sparked the move in my eyes. I mean, Holloway beat him twice in the top contender
2: Volkanovsky. He beat him by decision, but it was not a particularly close decision. So I think Aldo just thinks in his head, okay, if I'm going to stick around, he wants to fight for a title. And that's just out of the question anymore at featherweight, you know, so so maybe he sees henry cejudo as someone that's beatable and thinks he can get to cejudo right away with bantamweight i mean we can never really get into these guys heads but I, that's what i think it is and then of course normally the big reason for moving down a weight class is to you know be the bigger guy and have that advantage um aldo has a one inch height and a three inch reach advantage on Moraes. so it's there but it's not super pronounced so either way um i'm gonna pick Moraes too because i'm worried about aldo's weight cut and i think uh you mentioned this in your preview, and I think I agree. The marias head kick, the Cejudo knockout—was it a head kick? Anyway, I, I see that as a little bit fluky. I picked Morais in that contest, and uh, you know, obviously, it didn't go my way. But I, I give him credit for what he's been able to accomplish up to date, and uh, at least yeah, it, has made this cut a bunch of times. Although I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's funny. You know, we tr- we're trying to talk about what like you just mentioned, talking about, you know, why is he moving down at this point? You know, it's all these, you know, this and that, and you're right. It could be as simple as him looking at the rosters and saying, well you know i've beaten the guy who's the you know i've lost to the guy who's the featherweight champion you know a couple times i've lost to the guy who's the top challenger you know and and i just see a clearer path to a belt at 135 you know it could be as simple as that i mean some
2: fighters move up and i mean he i I don't give him any kind of chance at all against habib tony you know any of those oh no way a connor fight would be okay again because i think the outcome of that first one was a little bit fluky and i think that they could hype that enough to run it back but if he's going down a weight class that's probably out of the question at this point but very interesting anyway we're both taking Morice, and the, and the big moral of the story is watch weigh-ins make sure these guys both make weight and that Aldo at least looks a decent when he's doing it because yeah, even I, if I you're going have... to roster Morice, you, you have to w- worry a little bit at least about this fight getting called off because of something weird happening on the scale so uh keep an eye out for that
1: yeah I you know I don't think I, I'd be shocked if so Morice miss, uh, um, missed weight but Aldo it's it's definitely worth keeping an eye on those pictures. The, it wasn't good.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's eating like five pounds of just salad a day. To make. I don't know. There's all these it's weird stories coming out of this, but uh, yeah. So that's the big storyline here. Either way, uh, I wish I could look past it and get excited for an Aldo fight, watch the Hall of Famer in action. But there's there's a lot of background noise going on here. And and when I will admit when I first saw this on paper, I wrote down. I always jot down my staff picks like right away. What, what's my gut instinct? And I wrote down Aldo. I was like, just think of everything he's accomplished. He'll be the bigger guy but then you know the more i looked at into it and the more the, like the, these weight cut stories surface and that the advantage really isn't that big um I definitely got to lean back towards Marias in this one. And I know I'm being a chicken and I'm picking all favorites. I'm just uh, I'm not seeing the standout upset, I guess, on this card. And I think that's going to be the case for a lot of folks. But uh, hey, we got one more bantamweight fight to talk about. I mentioned our dynasty auction that we did uh, that we started this week. We are also the proud owners of Peter Yan in this one who has been red hot to start. I would not be surprised at all if he fights for a title here in 2020. But first, he's got to get through another Hall of Famer. In Uriah Faber and I mentioned him being the biggest uh, favorite on the card Yan 9400 Faber 6800 I think Faber, that makes Faber the second or the cheapest fighter on the whole card uh, and the Vegas odds reflect that Jan minus 470 biggest favorite Faber comeback is plus 355 and the odds to finish are minus 155 so Vegas pretty much has
1: Peter Jan by stoppage here do you agree as uh I certainly have Peter Jan and the stoppages may be a little up in the air, but um, this is another, this is a, another weird fight and it's a tough position for Peter Jan, who, as you just mentioned, is excellent. He, you know, certain neither of us, I know both big fans, neither of us would be the least bit surprised if you told me he's going to fight for a title in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. He's that good, but he's really in, in a sense a no one situation here. You know, he gets I mentioned, you know, he gets a fight on the main card of a pay-per-view, you know, probably certainly one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. So he'll get a nice royalty check. You know, he'll do fine with that. Um, he's get he'll get exposure because Faber's still wildly popular. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he'll get his name out there. He's still not all that well known amongst casual fans, which is too bad because he's an excellent fighter. Um, he's only 26. He's going to get. Yeah. That. And it's an end. It's a fight. You know, I, I think we both think he's going to win going away, but it's a fight in which in the grand scheme of things, he has very little to gain, you know, Peter Jan could go in there and start your i favor in 30 seconds. And that's going to really essentially, honestly do nothing as far as, you know, Jan's title, you know, Jan's hopes of fighting for a title. Um, yeah, it is what it is a favorite at this point um you know he returned this past july after two and a half years on the sidelines um and knocked out ricky ricky simon in 46 seconds now that sounds all well and good and it was actually a pretty cool moment you know it's a moment actually got knocked out this past weekend too yeah but don't let that get in the way of the story mm-hmm. um so he uh Yeah. So, you know, in his hometown, of Sacramento knocked him out in 46 seconds. That's great. Um, That was Faber's first knockout since WEC 25 against Joe Pearson on January 20th, 2007. So Uriah Faber at age 40 comes back from two and a half years on the sideline and, you know, knocks a guy out and, you know, you're going to tell me that he suddenly has, he has suddenly found power. It's not happening. You know, that was a fluke. Um, it's just his Faber skill set has been was clearly deteriorating before he took his hiatus Mm -hmm. you know he 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 was a guy who was always relying on pressure and excellent cardio and all that and that's you know like it or not that's what goes with age it's just you can't move like he did you know he's not a big you know he's not a heavy puncher and all that um he's still immensely popular but i really think if the ufc and i've said this many times if you the ufc is going to continue to run guys out there like this whether it's the Fabers or, you know, the Andre Orlovskys or the Ben Rothwells of the world or, you know, Little Nog, you know, wh- whatever, you know, all these guys who are, you know, essentially finished, you know, you really, really got to be careful about who you match them up against. And they were going to run Nog out there before the fight got canceled. I think it was supposed to be Nog and Sam Alvey in Brazil, which, like, that would have been fine. You know, like, that's like, an entertaining fight with a guy who's just one dimensional and, you know, it's just pure entertainment. Great. But Jan's like a legitimate title contender. And like, I really think you gotta, the company really has to be smarter. With who they match a guy like Faber up against because if this goes like we think it's going to go, Faber's going to go in there, he's going to get blown out of the water. It doesn't do anything for Jan. and if Faber so- pulls some kind of miracle upset, you essentially just blew a title you contender. Can, yeah, your prospects. Yeah, it's it makes no sense. It's like when they pushed when the UFC you know really pushed Paige VanZant and Sage Northcutt, and we said like what are you doing now? You know you have nothing to gain by it. You know these kids are twenty and twenty one years old. You know Yan's twenty six like you mentioned but there's no upside in this because even if Faber pulls the upset what are you going to tell me Faber is going to go fight Henry Sahuda for the Bantamweight title you know it's ridiculous so it's it is what it is it's the fifth you know card on the pay, um, main card of the pay-per-view but you know, I'm actually a little surprised the Vegas odds aren't even wider than they are.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember if Faber has been one of the fighters that is openly feuded with Dana White like so many have in the past. A lot of that stuff just turns into background noise for me after a couple of years. But I mean, this fight to me on paper looks like Dana saying okay uriah you're done let's get you back into retirement basically yeah i mean that's how lopsided it is in my eyes jan runs away with it and uh i'd use him as the foundation of lineups i think he gets a pretty decent score in this one either by taking a pretty lopsided decision or or getting the finish i mean yeah it was cool Faber came back and put away ricky simone that like you said awesome moment i'm sorry to interrupt the story there um but again, uh, more fluky <laughs> than anything else, and I think we can...
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't accomplish anything in the long term.
2: Yeah, we can agree this one's all yawn. All right, so we broke down most of these fights in depth quite a bit. want to discuss uh, a little bit more kind of DraftKings, DFS-centric strategy. Um, basically, this fight, you need to find some upsets, and you're not going to find... A ton of odds value in this one. I was kind of looking at comparing the uh the betting odds to the salaries. There hasn't been a ton of movement since they first came out earlier this week. Um, Omari Akhmadov is plus one twenty at seventy eight hundred. That's okay. He's four zero and one in his last five. He's got kind of a tough matchup against Heinisch, though. Um, if you by mike perry's craziness he's plus 215 at 7100 and at some point you got to throw some salary relief into your lineup i think the very very first fight of the night uh has oscar piashota uh he's minus 120 and he's only eight thousand on drafting so i think there's your odds value right there if you're into that if you're looking for an upset john are you looking to any
1: of those guys or are we moving elsewhere yeah no those are those are you know those are some good ones i guess mike perry is You know, like you mentioned, his craziness and you know, the fact he could take a punch is, you know, it takes a lot to get Mike Perry out of there. So, you know, you're making a bunch of lineups, 7,100, you know, maybe you hope Perry just, you know, survives long enough to land some offense of his own. You know, I don't think he's going to win, but at 7,100, you know, you're trying to, if nothing else, you know, I don't think he's going to get knocked out quick. So, you know, maybe you can, you know, rack up a bunch of strikes, you know, before he loses.
2: The interesting thing about Perry is, you know, I've referenced our dynasty auction a couple times. So we bought Jan for uh, twenty seven hundred out of a twenty thousand dollar budget. I was just looking. Jeff Neal went for two thousand eight hundred fifty out of the twenty thousand dollar budget. So, and and this is, a, I mean, this is a, a group of guys that we're doing this with. That I, you know, I I heard of most of them before we started, and a lot of them have definitely earned my respect in this. So we've got uh, we've got a pretty high price for Jeffrey neal so he's regarded as a very high prospect at the likes if not higher than in some minds than someone like Jan. so it's tough sledding for perry but you never know because perry's kind of a crazy person before he goes on fully like before he goes like full diego sanchez and and gets weird with it like he might have a few uh pull a rabbit out of his hat's winning them who knows
1: yeah, I mean, you know, he he's always interesting because simply because of the punishment he can take. You know, he can take any guy, and, and you know, we used to say this about Diego Sanchez, any guy who could take that much punishment always has a chance to win because it simply gives him time to land more offense. You know, and hopefully get off a flurry of his own. Um, there were a few others, um, Ahmed uh, Omar Ahmed Medov, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. He's interesting only because he, Ian Heinish looks so bad against Derek Brunson. You know, he in his last fight. Um, that was heinish's real chance to like make a statement and you know become a contender at one hundred and eighty five pounds and he just no showed he got run out of the building by Brunson, so you know that's interesting um if you're really digging deep, I guess this this whole we mentioned it briefly earlier this whole Matt brown thing is just. You know, I don't get. I I just don't get it. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Brown and uh, Ben Saunders. I mean, if if you're gonna, if, I see fans and stuff on Twitter calling for retirements uh, all the freaking time. And um, yeah, I'm at the head of the list. Yeah, but the thing is, is like if people are going to call for anyone else, like why not? Why not Saunders at this point? Yeah, um, it's a tough one. He's uh, he's cheap. He's sixty nine hundred. He's a hundred dollars more than Uriah Faber. But uh, and he gets another older, you know, kind of past their prime fighter in Brown. Um, can you explain to the fans out no. there why Brown is uh, such a big favorite here?
1: No, I can. Matt. Uh, by the time he steps into the octagon Saturday, Matt Brown will have been on the sidelines for. Two years and a little over a month. His last fight was November 11, 2007, um, when he knocked out Diego Sanchez, which, you know, we all love Diego, but look, Diego's past his prime. Um, Matt Brown has one win dating back to July of 2015. So we're at, you know, upwards of four and a half years with one victory. Um, he has spent the last, you know, year plus um, rehabbing from a torn ACL. Yeah. And Ben Saunders is 36 years old and has lost. Let me make sure I get this right. Five of his last five six. of his last six. Um,
2: had a weird but, knockout in there against Jake Ellenberger.
1: Which, yeah, which, yeah, which with Allen, the need
2: of the body, and Ellenberger
1: counts less than either of these two guys. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, no, yeah. look, yeah, you know, but uh, you know, basically to sum it up to answer your question, no. Um, and Saunders might be more washed than Brown, like that's totally a hundred million percent possible, but there is no way I would ever, ever spend 9,300 on Matt Brown. This is our, I mean, you know, we, you know, UFC essentially runs one card a week, you know, more or less. It averages to what 50 cards a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, this is perhaps since we started doing this, how long we've been doing this Four or five years at least Twenty fourteen, we kind of dipped our toes in. Yeah, this is arguably the most baffling salary I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I, it lines up with the
2: odds, I guess. But that, yeah, that's quite I don't, a bit.
1: I don't understand the odds either, though. Like how I, I just I don't get how you can look at this and say this is anything other than they're both terrible and past their prime. I don't know who's going to win.
2: Yeah, Also, I mean like I said that first lineup I always build um, Again, there's there's not much obvious odds value on this. It's really tough to find And I wanted to use peter yan and amanda dunes in my lineup I just I think those guys are both pretty much locked in for a hundred You know are, are, as close as you're going to get to locks I guess for a hundred DraftKings points. Okay, and you want to get that you got to get Everyone you, the number it varies 10x 12x, you know, what have you here But once you put those two in your lineup, you're sitting there looking at like Seventy six hundred something average per fighter, and it's not looking good. So you got to, you know, whatever. I'll I'll, t- I'll punt a spot with Saunders and hope for the best and probably expect the worst still for, you know from both of them but you know even if he gets me 20 30 points whatever because then I've got four or five favorites in my lineup and we're good to go and who knows yep. maybe he lands that shot maybe he lands one of those weird knees maybe Matt Brown's knee buckles in the first round and suddenly he ends up with you know 90 100 DraftKings points then you're on your way to actually making
1: some real money on DraftKings so uh yeah I mean I would use I mean I know there's a massive gap in the salaries but I would use Jessica I, who's 7600 before i use matt brown and you know anybody who you know listens to us frequently or reads you know my columns and my recaps knows that i really think i is legitimately like one of like the dozen worst fighters in the whole company and i I would still use her over brown
2: yeah so that's uh okay so that's interesting so hopefully we've given you guys enough to build some lineups with uh basically take your pick of the upset in the uh in one of the two main events because they're both at least semi-plausible maybe throw in throw in akhmudov and then and pump one of these guys and take your pick of the two big favorites i think that's the way you build a lineup for this card even if, if you're making only one obviously this is the biggest mass entry sport out of any sport dfs sport i think you can get because you gotta you almost gotta account for uh mma is the thing i don't mean to get all meta and stuff but it's like you gotta account for so much variance and exposure in this sport more often than other sports so it's tough to be that kind of sport where you're going to to make one lineup and call it quits, but yeah, uh, just
1: use your top guy. You know, use you know the two or you know maybe three, depending on the price, people that you think of a base, and then like anything else, and then you know just rotate. You know, the last couple spots with what you think is potential value.
2: Got it. All right, so last thing before we call it quits, three belts on the line. How many are changing hands? Oh man,
1: I have. I got to go with my prediction column. I have one. Mm-hmm. I got it as one. Mm-hmm. I, I could see two. But if yeah. if you said one and a half, I would probably take the under.
2: I'm picking three favorites, but with such a low degree of confidence that this question, isolated from the picks, I'm going to go ahead and say one belt as well. We're going to see one belt change yeah. hands.
1: Nunez is the only one yeah, I'm confident.
2: That's about. the safe one, and then I think there's a good enough chance that the other two fights are close enough that one of the two changes hands.
1: Yeah. It's 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 a good, it's a good card. You know, the last couple months have have had card's been a little top heavy this is a legitimate excellent card top to
2: bottom yep so definitely tune in follow at rotowire mma for recaps i'm going to post staff picks on the website tomorrow of course all this mma content is free john's preview is already up i got that up yesterday and then uh let me see what else we got oh the fight IQ guys are coming back uh they're going to do it tomorrow thursday on the rotowire youtube channel so check that out um if you want 10 days for your fantasy football for any other DFS just rotowire.com slash pod com slash pod and that'll let you play with some of the things on our on our lineup optimizer too, uh, lets you mess with the projections a little bit uh, use our odds implied winning percentage to build lineups, that's one of my favorite MMA features I guess, uh, so there's a lot going on at rotowire.com, you can check it all out for 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod, thanks again for listening everyone to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, uh, hopefully Hopefully one of you guys out there can bring home that 50k on DraftKings. uh you know when they, when they're this big i almost make myself enter because i'm just too intrigued by it but once again thanks again for uh, listening uh, you can follow john on twitter at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e you can follow me on twitter at roto jake we're going to be back with you ufc 246 in a new year in 2020 counter versus cowboy are kicking it off with a bang in the new year until then uh best of luck at ufc 245 on saturday